Hello and welcome to the Beehive Jive. Um, we are Paul and Tracy. We're two beekeeping friends who live in South London. Um, and we get together and do these podcasts and share our experiences of working with our bees and the fun and games that we have doing that. Um, so today, we're, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about it's the end of the year. The end of the year, yeah. Things kind of coming to an end. Not not completely at an end yet. Like no, I haven't closed them. Because it's freakishly hot. It is really warm and humid today, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Let's start with our weather, weather, weather update. Weather, in it. Weather, weather. We- <laughs> the old best pinkly binders uh, impression. <laughs> Why do they all sound like Cockneys? It's all right, Gav. <laughs> I wonder how long it takes to learn that accent. What, Gav? No, to learn that Cockney accent, because people think it's easy. No, I no, it's Birmingham it accent. It's supposed to be a Birmingham accent. Oh, it's a Birmingham accent. Okay. But the, um, Arthur, the oldest brother, he just sounds he he sound like, like Danny Dyer. It's all right, as again. It's like, it's just it's one of my best. I know, but you know he should be our king. What, King Arthur? Danny Dyer. He's more royal than the queen. Is he? Danny. Yeah. He was on uh, Who Do You Think You Are? And they chased his, um, traced his family tree. This is not going to be good today. I can hardly speak. No. Um, they traced his family tree back to See, no one knows who Danny some Plantagenet. All oh, right. Yeah. So he's King Arthur. Yeah. yeah. Blimey. I think they're going to bury although, him in Westminster. Well, I don't really think he? he's king material, is he? Because he, he did, did get his balls out on TV once. Did he? That's yeah, disgusting. I know. It's outrageous. <laughs> can't believe you said that. I'm just, I look. I know you're just reporting the facts. Yeah, <laughs> just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, so it's the uh, end of the season now, so it was all tidying up, feeding, treating, and um, at the end of the season, we like to look back on uh, what went well for me and went really bad for Tracy. Oh, <laughs> oh, what? Can, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't laugh. You cry. I'm doing both right now. Don't cry. I'm not um, going to cry. Don't worry. That's that's hay fever because it's so unseasonably warm. It is, isn't it? Mm. Very warm. Um, right. So, um, so this year actually f- for me has been reasonably good. I kind yeah. of learned a few things. Um, so I think the first thing I've learned is you can't be keep to a calendar. So beginning of the season, I thought right, I'm going to be really organised. I'm going to write down when I'm going to do things. I'm going to going to structure it so it's it's uh so i know what i'm doing when i'm doing it uh and that just, that was just a, a bit of a disaster really so for example the right i'm gonna do my queen rearing beginning of may and set it all up so um the way i was doing the queen rearing was i was building a, 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 bo- a starter box i put cat brood in this box and after 10 days they just explode and you end up this massive box for the bees and I was going to graft into it. I thought, that'd be perfect. It'll work great. I'll be a queen rearing king. Um, unfortunately, the day I went to graft, it was there were hailstones. Not yes. the best day to graft. No. Um, and really, think about back on it, that was just trying to do it to a calendar, which didn't, didn't really work. And the second thing I tried to do to a calendar was I've been using snail growth balls this year. Mm. which actually I'm going to use again next year because... Mm. You made a, them, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, I made them, which means anyone That's can impressive. make them. No. Seriously, you can make them. Anyone can make them. It's a, it's a square bit of wood with some other wood nailed to it. But anyway, I made these snow grow boards and um, 
I used them. And I found out a really good way of doing soil control because it's a vertical split. So all the box, you don't, you don't need to put it next to it or up. You know, it's a vertical split. Everything's stacked on top of each other. You don't need extra space. Um, it uses just two brew boxes. uses an extra brew box. So you're not, you, know, you don't need to nuke. And it bleeds the flying bees back into the hive. So it's really easy to keep... Mm. splits balance in terms of mm. population so i really like that and i will be doing it next year and the other thing i like is at the beginning of the season you can take a snail growth board and a brew box to stack it on top of the hive and leave it there until you need it mm. so you know i've got sort of five or six production hives. To, like, to store it yeah i'm going to store yeah, it on top right. of the hive yeah you know, anyway. and when you do the inspection you just have to take an extra box off and but it just sits there. And when I'm ready, I'm like, oh, I've got it. right, okay. I, I could do a snail grow split. So my other problem was I had the same view and that right. And, you know, end of June, yeah, I'm going to split out, split them all. And that, that wasn't <laughs> particularly good either. So I think I... So why wasn't it... Why wasn't the timing right? Because all the pies were in different um, sort of population density. They all had mm. different numbers of bees in it. And I didn't... Balanced out. There's, um, I read um, Snellgrove's book, and what he did at the beginning of the season is he what called balancing. So he'd go through all the boxes, and he'd take bees out of the really full box and put them in the not so full box. And his, and his goal was to get them all at the same kind of population level. So he could do this; he can manage everything at mm. the same time. But you know, he had hundreds of hives. I, I don't, so I don't really need to do that. So I split them, and so some of the splits weren't quite as good as the other ones. Um, so yeah, next year I'm just gonna do it when they want to do it. Right? Do the queen rearing when when the swarm season starts because that's when they're in the best position to do the queen yeah. rearing. That's probably when the weather and the flow is best. Um, split them when um, split them when they when they look when they look like they need splitting. So you can. So when I open the box up and it's all you know eggs and brood and no yeah. space. Okay, well now now I can do that. Like I see the queen. Yeah. I could do a snail grow split straight away. Yeah. Because all the kits there. So I found that managing to a calendar wasn't particularly good. And in particular for the queen rearing, it just mm. it was just a disaster. But don't you think it was the weather this year as well? Yeah, it was the weather, but it was my like my it really didn't help no, it didn't. planning anything. But my point was I'd I'd planned that I'd set that starter box up and I was just committed to 10 days time because I'd, I'd worked it back from a Sunday. So I'd go, that's going to be Sunday, that's going to be grafting day. Um, and when I got there, it was drizzling and it wasn't a good day. And I should have just gone, you know what, leave it. I can't. Not no a day to, to start. Yeah. yeah. But in my mind, I had this sort of calendar day and I thought, right, I'm going to go for it. So, yeah, <laughs> not going to do that. Um, so you can't, can't, I can't, yeah, I can't really be keep to a calendar. Uh Although what I now do is I beekeep to uh, Sheffield Honey's Twitter feed. Really? Yeah, because you follow that and you'll say, right, I'm doing, I'm treating today, I'm taking the honey off, so I just do it when he does it. Excellent. <laughs> God, that's what you need. He's got a great Twitter feed, Sheffield Honey. Oh, I haven't seen that. <laughs> yeah. I will look now. Um, yeah, so um, so I found that. And the other thing I, I found was uh, how useful nukes were. Yeah overwintered nukes so this year we had a bit of a wet april which meant i think one or two of my hives pretty much starved because they um well april or wet may it was a, it was a wet june 
We had like a June was the wettest June on record. All right, because we had a really nice spring. Yes. And they all went out and they started raising yeah, brew and they all it. grew and grew and grew. And yeah. you're thinking this is going to be great. And it rained solidly for three weeks. So I had some starve. Yeah. Um, and the, the beauty of the I had these sort of yeah, nine overwintered nukes. And a great thing and that, with those was I could just repopulate those production highs straight away. Mm. I wasn't where I'm going to get a queen from. Oh no! It was like okay, well, that's the strongest one. I'll put you in a hive. You're strong. I'll put you in a hive. Mm. So I just find having those nukes spare to sit in there really, really useful. So this year I've got I think was seven overwintered nukes. I'll, I'll go and have a look. One of them doesn't look particularly healthy, so that one might be getting uh, united with another one today. Actually, so I found having those nukes really useful. Mm. really amazingly useful at that time because it was like okay um they're brilliant they're like little factories yeah you, you you keep them going by you know taking like i love giving them comb to draw and like a nuke that's really busy and on form will just draw an extension of comb yeah in a week you know they're just so good yeah what is good about them is once you get your head around the fact that they're there to support your main hives, yeah. you get less precious about them being super strong. Like, I, I don't know, I, I've always had to say, I like really strong hives. And if you've got a really strong nuke, you think, mm, I don't want to take brood out of that one and weaken it. But now I do. So mm. um, none of my main hives have been queenless this year. Mm. Because the moment I thought one was queenless, I'd go over to a nuke, yank out a frame of eggs and, and throw it in the one I thought was queenless. Straight away, I didn't even think about it. And... and that's a you know, so if it was queenless, they raised a new queen. It wasn't queenless, it did, they did nothing other than cap it. So having them there and, and getting your head around the fact that they're, they're only there to support the main hives, mm. it's just been really useful this year. It was just it's the first year I've really done really got my head to the point because I've always I've always kept them for that. Mm. But it's like it's natural resistance. Like, well, yeah, they're really strong. I know, and you want you. The temptation is to, as you say, to grow them into a full size colony. Yeah, well, I've even got supers for them now. Yeah, <laughs> I got some supers. I remember when they came out. I really laughed and mocked another. Yeah, I did as well. Rubber. I think it's even and, on these and podcasts. Now I've got. <laughs> I think I think it is. And now I'm I'm not even talking to the microphone. Sorry. That's all right. Um. I'll try. I'll try to behave myself. Sorry. Um, you are a troublemaker. Yes, I am. Um, I yeah. I I have got them now, and they're really really useful. But I couldn't agree more about overwintered nukes. They are just useful for a hundred different things, and um, you can do anything with them. You can do anything with the nuke box. I think beekeeping wise, and you know. It's just wonderful having these little, these little boxes of resources. Yeah, they're like Swiss Army knives. For yeah, beekeepers. absolutely. Very good way of putting it. Really? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I love them. I love multifunctional. Well, I've got too many poly nukes now because we've got a little WhatsApp group with um, the people we go to the honey show with. And um, so the other thing I've learned this year, at the end of the year, well, throughout the year, is to clean up as I go along in my apiary. Oh, God. Yeah. Because. Um, <laughs> so I keep my apiary on a farm and the farmer's really good because his only prerequisite is that he can um, 
cut the grass in a paddock. So it says, as long as, as long as you keep your stuff around the edge and I can just cut the grass, you can do what you want. Uh, I've kind of used that as an excuse to, it, it, it does look like a, it looks like uh, the, the wasteland, like the post-apocalyptic wasteland out of the you Terminator movies. a lot movies. of stuff there. I had a lot of crap there. A lot of so stuff. This year, and also... If you leave like a polynuke or a box with, with comb in it, things move in like mice and Ugh. earwigs, earwigs everywhere. So this year I've um, been really good. And the moment I don't need a bit of kit, I take it back and I clean it. I think I sent, I saw on that WhatsApp group, I sent a picture of all the polynukes I had stacked up ready to be painted for the end of the year. And I've now realised I just didn't need to buy any more polynukes ever. <laughs> But can you stop yourself? That would be my... Well, obviously, the Honey Show is coming up. Every year at the Honey Show, you buy a number of polynukes. You can't help yourself. But, that, I mean, actually, at least you've got good ones. Yeah. You know, you've got some of the ones with the divider down the middle. I have a range Even of Even I've got one of those, actually. They're great. Yeah. The they uh, BS useful. Honey uh, polynukes. Yeah, they're great. So that's a six-frame nuke, for those who've never seen them. It's a six-frame nuke with a... Uh, like a core, a plastic divider between it, so you can turn it into two three-frame nukes, and it's got two entrances either side, and they make the world's greatest three-frame mating nukes. The only problem I have with three-frame mating nukes is they use an awful lot of bees compared to like a normal, sort of small yeah. mating nuke. But but I, I, I this year I'm pretty much all of them, the queens mated in them. Mm. A few obviously didn't, but this year most of the queens mated. Mm. Yeah, so I've got those. I've got. I've got the Payne's ones. So I've painted them all now, cleaned them all. Um, I strap them together with big luggage straps that don't blow away in the winter. And I've stacked them on my back of my garden fence and it looks like a re- reconstruction of the Game of Thrones ice wall. <laughs> <laughs> just this big wall of white polystyrene. That, I mean, that picture is just <laughs> unbelievable. John wrote back and went, that's a lot of poly. <laughs> 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 yeah, it is It is a lot of poly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I've been cleaning up as I go along. So my, my apron now looks pristine. It's, um, I'm going oh, to f- you have to take a photo of it. Yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go and... Um, Tweet it. Feed it today. I was treating it. I was vaping it yesterday. So mm-hmm. they get a double blast. So I, I put um, apostine in there. And I also now do um, three oxalic sub- sublimations five days apart. Right. That. Um, sorry, there's noise distracting me. Um, I think it's soup. All oh, right, okay. It's my wife cooking. You lucky thing. I know. Well, you haven't tasted it yet. <laughs> it's going to be good, <laughs> I can tell. Um, so, yeah, so um, clean as I go along has been a bit of a revelation to me. Because mm. um, now I've really, really now I'm in a position where um, I've just got to extract all the wax. So I bought myself a, um, a steam wax extractor. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's great. It's really good. But how do you clean your polynukes? Because um, it just does my head in cleaning them. I go. I get. Yeah, because you can go mental. Well, yeah. what you're supposed to do is get a bath, and then get like a bleach. Um, solution in the bath mm. and dip them right uh, but that's just a lot of trouble so what i do is i get the, the go up the shops and buy the bleach spray yeah so i scrape put all the so i leave i let you want to wait do it in the morning when it's cold 
because right. all, all the propolis sets, it becomes hard and crispy. So I scrape it all off, and then I scrub out all the old bees and things, and I spray the inside with that bleach, the 100% bleach sort yep. of to spray detergent, wash it all down, and then I wash the outsides, and I just paint the outside. Every year I repaint them, because mm. I write on them it's during the year instead of putting tape, I just write on the lids. So every year I've got like a queen record on the on the lid. So I just paint them every year. I've got um, a spray gun. I just just stack them all up and just spray them. Takes takes me a day. Mm. And then uh, put the frames. I've got I've got any frames. I've got to put some frames in them. But I've, they're all at the end of the garden. They're all stacked up, ready to go. Got to do the wax, and I've got to burn the boxes. That's all I've got to do this year now. Mm. Scorch all the boxes. Mm. But. I'm in a very clean position. It's uh, odd. You're in a, you are in a good place, I think. You know, going into winter. Yeah. So I've got to just go and feed. I, I'm got, I haven't inspected them for like two weeks. I'm just going to go feed them today. I'm going to inspect them. Weather forecast says thunder, but it was it was bright and sunny earlier. So I'm going to go up later and um, this time of year I like to feed them towards the evening because mm. um, they rob if you do it during the day. Yeah. But I don't want to leave it too late because I won't be able to see anything. Mm. And feed them all at the same time. Yeah, so I take all the lids off, put all the feeders on, and I just go along and feed them. God, I'm getting through so much sugar. Are you? I bought a 25-kilo sack last week. Did you get it delivered by Amazon? Yeah. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, except they said they gave it to my neighbours. <laughs> just like, what the hell is this? Um, <laughs> you know, right. But what's really funny is he couldn't lift it up. And you could. And I went in and just... Picked it up and took it away over my shoulder. No, not over my shoulder. But <laughs> like a fireman's carry. Like, like a big pillow, yeah. A big, big, big pillow with Stumbling along with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm getting through a lot of sugar. So yeah. where do you get yours from? Amazon. All oh, right. I've so sold a 25. Tate and Lyle. Tate and Lyle, yeah. 16 pounds. Or is it 20 quid? I don't know. Really. Comes mm. to live in the big box by tired looking guys that carry up, up, yeah. up, the, up the drive. Um and then I, I've got a pot, I've got a plastic pot upstairs, and I do 640 mils of water. I've got a line drawn on that. Like mm. it's a one-litre jug. So 640 mils of water, so I do like three of those in a big pot. And then I, I know if I fill the jug up to the top with mm. sugar, that's a kilo. Mm. So I just push it really quick, easy. Cool. Then I heat it. And then I have a weird thing where I come down, like down the end of my garden, back into my house, and I'll be watching something on Netflix and every. Or 15 minutes, I'll go up to make sure it's as all the sugar dilute um, dissolved. Oh, yeah. Uh, you got, you have to explain that to me. You know, I'm, I'm hopeless with numbers. Okay. So if it's, I, I'm wondering if I'm doing it correctly. If it's 2 1. Yeah. So that's the recipe I've got off the. So it's um, one kilo of sugar and half as much water. By weight. By weight. So I've got, right, I've okay. got. So that confused me. I went on the um, Bee Base website and I downloaded their uh, PDF that says how to feed bees. I'll link it in the description. Um, I'm going to talk and write at the same time. Um, I can't. So So you download it and in there it says um, 640 millilitres of water to one kilogram of sugar. I'll, I'll so that's by weight or volume. I can't remember. That's what I do. So I got a, bought a plastic jug from the pound shop where everything's just one pound. And uh, <laughs> not everything. But anyway, we won't well, go okay. about you, that. You obviously go to Harrods pound shop. Um, <laughs> yes, where it's that's a pound right. of gold. 
Um, <laughs> so yeah, so to I, one kilo of yeah. sugar. So I just drew, I just drew a line where six forty mil is with big, big black marker with sharpie. Yeah, and I just fill up the water, and it's in my shed, and I've got a one of those little uh, electric, you know, one electric rings you can get. Yeah. A big, big old pot, put the pot on there, turn it on, that warms it up, which helps it dissolve, dissolve quicker. And I'll just come down and watch the telly and just walk back up there. Okay. And I've got a big 25-litre jerry, plastic jerry cans, mm. which are only half fill because you, you can't lift them. If you They're heavy, them. aren't they? Oh, incredibly heavy. So I've got two of those now. And I come down. And, I, and I, the other thing I've learned is I used to fill it in my shed, but then all the floor got sticky. So now I fill it in the garden. Yeah. Although this time of year, the wasps find it almost straight away. Or do it in the kitchen sink. I can't because the, the jerry cans are that big. So I, I've, I've not, I've been not doing it to the right proportion. So what I do is, I just put in uh, five hundred mils of water for every kilo of sugar. Are you going to crystallise it? Yes. Yeah. That's what I had. That's why I, I went and googled. But see, sometimes it won't stir in properly. So I'll put a bit of extra water in. Yeah. So it's not too bad. But see, I, I make it in the... Um, Bath. With, <laughs> with, with the gin. Yeah, sweet gin. Um, I make it uh, in the the feeders, the kind of what... You know the feeders that are about oh, that buckets. big? Yeah, 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 the buckets. Gravity feeders. Yeah. Yeah. So I make it in those and then I tip it into the jerry cans. But I make it with hot... I boil the kettle... Yeah, you don't need to actually boil the water, but I'm just too lazy to stand there and stir it. You have to stir it forever. So I just heat it generally. And you've got to be careful, haven't you, with heating uh, with things too high because you get hydroxymethylfurfurate. Do you? Yeah, HMF, yeah. You can get that. Well, you can get it if you heat honey too high. And I've been told that if you heat sugar syrup too high, you get that and it can harm the bees. <laughs> I think that's Say that right. Again. What is it called again? Hydroxymethylfurfurate. I'm, that is the title of this podcast. <laughs> no. It, it is, it is. But see, I, I had to learn all of these things for my exams and it never leaves you. Knowledge never leaves you. Well, that's not true. But anyway, some doesn't. I spent ages. What? I'm fascinated by Hydroxy methyl furfurate. F U R F U R A T E. F furfurate, yeah. yeah. Can you draw a molecular structure on the board? I probably could not, but. <laughs> <laughs> I see, I like all of that kind of stuff. I do like kind of. I mean, I'm a geek, as you know, so I like chemistry you and are stuff. You are a girly nerd. <laughs> I would call you girly squat, but apparently that's offensive and I get a punch in the face. Actually, that is a really important topic that we just did. What's that? It's how to make. Of yeah. <laughs> All right, don't be jealous. I'm very jealous. <laughs> it's, um, you two can learn to say, say this word. <laughs> um, about how to make up syrup and how and, how and when to feed your bees. Yeah, for y- years I made it up. And I, cause I use the Ashcroft feeders. I just use the, the yeah. plastic ones are brilliant uh, because mm. I, I, I like plastic things. They're easy mm. to easy to clean. The wooden feeders are good, but um, if they're made with plywood. It starts they start to swell and crack. And with the plastic mm. ones, last forever. And I was making it, but I used to do one liter of water to one kilo. This is how rubbish. You know, one liter of water, one kilo of sugar. Mm. And then what I'd find is that I'd go back to the feeders, and the bottom of the feeders were just full of 
like you know, meth yeah. out of Breaking Bad. It was just full that's of crystallized happened, sugar. That's happened to me, yeah. So I found this B-based thing and they said, oh, it's 640 mil to one kilo sugar. And since I've done that, I haven't really had that problem. Do you know, I think I have heard that again and I forgot about it. I have heard it before and I forgot about it. Um, but once you measure the jar, mm. once I measured it in the jar, I don't, even, I, don't, I don't weigh it, I don't need scales or anything. I just need this plastic jug with the Sharpie lines on it and I'm good to go. Because it's the same utensil. Yeah. You're not using two different utensils. I'm not weighing. I don't need. I don't need. I used to weigh it all on on like scales, but mm. I don't need that now. I just mm. scoop the sugar in and, and throw the water in. And then for obviously for two for one, mm. um, you put two pots, two six forties, twelve mm. into um, into the pot, and then one kilo of sugar, and that's mm. your spring feed. Mm. You one one. Yeah, you yeah. one. Now one one's now, isn't it? Two ones now. Is it two one now? So yeah. one one would be twice as much. Yeah, you said. Yeah, yeah what you said is. I yeah no, I'm I'm is, right. Is yeah. two one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're six forty. Yeah, that is. Um, so what kind of so what kind of feeders do you use? You just I said, use the uh, hive top feeders. So they're um, the Ashcroft feeders. So they 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 look like a super with feeder in it. Mm. So they they cover the whole thing, and you can just fill them up with. A lot of sugar syrup. Yeah, I think get um, it all over and done with them. I think the plastic ones can take like three gallons. Mm. Um, mm. So I just fill I fill them up because the other thing I find is the bees die. You know, you sometimes get dead bees in a feeder. Yeah. What I found is, and this is purely anecdotal, what I found is if you don't let the feeders dry out, they don't die. So if you keep the feeders full of, I only get dead bees when when I go there and they That's just run out. So yeah. I, so I try and top them up. So that's why I like the the, the hive top feeders. Can you get so much in there mm. that um, the first week they go mad on it, and then the second week they kind of calm down a bit. Are they like those big green ones? Yeah, yeah. I've got I'm two of those. Yeah, with the plastic sort of cups. Cups. Yeah. yeah. But the the wooden ones, same size, but they have like a strip. There's ones I've seen in the US that you can't buy over here where the feeding ports are in the corners. Oh wow! Which looks much better. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I use those. And then um, pretty much the same for the polynukes. They've got high-top feeders mm. as well. Why would they put them in the corners? I don't know. They just, just look thinking. a lot easier to clean. Yeah, they would be. Yeah. Can't buy them over here. just wondering why they not over the centre of the nest. Anyway. Um, and the last thing I've learned to clean, which has been a revelation, <laughs> is I've learned to clean my smoker. Oh. I love this. I've learned to keep my eyes a marvel. It's a miracle. I think it's possibly the most exciting thing that's happened for I'm me the, as well. I'm, all year. I'm the Elon Musk of beekeeping. It's the greatest invention <laughs> ever. Not that I admitted it, I just read it somewhere. <laughs> Describe your invention. <laughs> so I've been looking how you clean your smoker, and people have talked about screwdrivers and buying degreaser and all, and that just looked a lot of trouble. So, me being me, I said, I'll just buy another cheap one. But then I discovered someone who said, all you need is some soda crystals, um, a bucket. So you get get your, get your soda crystals, put them in your bucket, fill up, fill it up with water, take the bellows off your smoker, open the lid and just drop the, drop the whole thing in, in the water and leave overnight. And then when you come back next day, you just wash it out with a, just sluice it out with an old dishwashing brush and it's pristine. It's, it's so amazing. clean that the lid won't shut properly now because it just flops open. <laughs> the only the only thing is you need a bucket big enough to get the whole smoker in mm. or 
If you can't do that, you turn it over. I love that. It's no effort whatsoever. It's perfect. Because you keep, you know, we all know about my smoker and the tales that you've told here on this podcast. The poor smoker. About my poor smoker. So and abused. I do look at it and think. I'm set up a charity. <laughs> should I just buy another cheap smoker? Smoker refuge. Like, yes. I've got two others as well, which are in even worse condition. Um, I just like the fact that you've smashed the top of it in. It looks like you've got a hammer and you've gone for it. Oh, stop it. <laughs> it was a hive tool, not a hammer. No, when you, you watch those history programs where they go to the old First World Battlefield in, in France, they dig it all up and they find like an old helmet. Mm. That's what your smoker looks like. It looks like it's taken a couple of rounds of a howitzer. <laughs> it took a couple of rounds of me that's the problem i i just it's i'm ashamed i have a really bad temper and i get to this kind of critical mass <laughs> where i can only cope with so many things going wrong at the same time <laughs> especially when you've got you know the public all there taking photos of you Smash luckily they didn't see me do that they didn't see me do that but um have you got old smokers buried there in shallow graves <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to make do and mend. Well done. I'm going to try to uh make reparation to my smoker for the wrongs that I've done to it. By dropping it in a bucket of caustic soda. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's I'll fix it. That stuff is incredible. We were going to talk about it earlier, wasn't it? Yeah. It's, it's miraculous. It is, and you you know, you wash a bee suit in it. I have a bucket in my apiary which I change the water every time I go there. Um, not that it's helped me with disease prevention, but anyway, more on that later. Um, yeah, so, you know, I always wash my hat, my gloves in it, and I have a – I keep, a, like, a dish brush in there. Yeah. So I scrub my – or some wire wool and scrub my hive tools, and yeah. and they live in there in the season. Oh, okay, so you keep a bucket of that in your apiary, and the, the, before you leave, you just put your hive tool in the bucket. So I, I actually keep it in my car. Like, it comes everywhere with me. Your bucket. My bucket, so it's it's actually a bucket inside a, a smaller bucket inside a larger bucket. To, um, so it doesn't splash so around. So it doesn't splash around okay. the back of my car, and it has all my hive tools. And also, if I've been using things like scissors or tweezers or a knife to cut out a queen cell, that's a smoker. all in there. That's in your mystery van, isn't it? You got like Scooby Doo mystery van for, for beekeeping. <laughs> my mystery van. I like your bee van. Oh, I love my bee van. Uh, it's a big improvement from the pickup you had. Really? Yeah. That was that was environmentally a very bad car. It was. Every time you drove that, it were a butterfly died. It was, it was really, the really bad. species of butterfly. I can't believe I ever bought that car. It was a monster. It's because I wanted a big car. You know, I mean, how stupid is that? You can mess- take the girl out of Australia, but... <laughs> can't take the ute out of the girl. Everyone, everyone drives cars like that in Australia. Well, where I'm from anyway. Yeah, but not now South, South London, the tiny little roads. No, and do you know, when I... Um, you were a terror in it, though, because you should drive down the middle, get in my way, like Mad Max. <laughs> you do you do get this inflated sense of grandiosity, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, what was what were you saying? We, we've You were talking about your bucket with your hive tool. Oh, yeah. We were talking oh, about I washing soda. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So, yeah, so that was my revelation because... Um, I had a sm- I, my, I have a smoker. And I've got a couple, but I had a smoker, and it was, and it was just too sticky to open. And I was getting to that point where you, you were like, you're like tapping it with a high tool. And- <laughs> I 
<laughs> the way you don't just tapping it gently with a hive tool yeah yeah. You know, like you see archaeologists just chipping off the dirt That's off, it. a, off a marble. A little brush. And they see you smashing it with a sledgehammer. <laughs> Same rude words as you hit it. <laughs> We'd have to bleed that out. No, you couldn't hear that. No. You just mouthed it. Yeah. Like we're not on video. Well, people, it is. <laughs> people have been outraged. Um, yeah, so I did that. So that was, it's weird, isn't it, when you're one of the biggest achievements of your beekeeping year is cleaning your smoker. Well, well, but it's a little it's thing. It's not just about cleaning your smoker, though. It's about being resourceful and, like, you know, the whole, you know, not not recycling exactly, but it's about, you know, yeah. why would you go and spend more money and create more junk when you could actually look after what you've got? True. Tidying up as you go, though, is hard work. It's very hard work. A, it's all, all you ever do. A because I'm a bit lazy. But B, you've got to do it at the end of a bee inspection, so you, you know. I said to someone earlier, and it's a bit of a weird hobby, beekeeping, because you wait until the hottest part of the year, and then you put on a boiler suit and walk around with a box that's on fire. So like, you're, <laughs> so you're really hot and you're sweaty, mm. uh, and I've got one – I don't smoke that. I've got one hive that's really bloody miserable. Mm. Just an absolute mm. bastard. Is so, that yeah, the one I'm, that stung your arms? Yeah, it was stung, yeah. It stung everything. Every, every, every part of my body has now been stung. Liver, everything. Uh, <laughs> don't know how I got in there. But um, you're all hot and sweaty and you're kind of like, you just want to go home. I just want to go home, stop off at the garage, get an ice cream, go home. Um, but I kind of forced myself to at least take one thing back with me that shouldn't be there. And that's actually kept it. That's cool. I'm actually very happy with little it. Little and often. Yeah, little and often. So when I was doing my masters, that's my tutor used to say, just do a little and often. So that's what I've done. Mm. So that is my beekeeping year, right? So um, yours hasn't been all bad, though, has it? Yours has been really good. I had, I had more honey this year as well. Yeah, and here's a jar right here, and it looks gorgeous. It does. It looks really, really nice. I don't really eat them. And I like your honey. Do you like my jar? I do like your jar, but I, I like your honey more. It's a really nice kind of deep kind of caramelly flavour. It's not one of those light floral honeys, which obviously are also beautiful, but I like richer kind like of honey. Like meaty hunk. I like, I like, you know, all the eucalyptus honeys and things like that. Oh, yeah, roll your eyes. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah, so gloss of honey. That was good. Mm. I've still got a bucket of honey to put in a jar. Mm, cool. You have some nice presents for people. That's all they are. Don't, that's why I don't put labels on them. Oh, do you have to? I thought you only want to put labels on them when you sell them. Yeah. Right. Good. I'm not selling it. No, no, you don't have to label at all. But I'm sure. Well, Kay will make them look absolutely. She puts some uh, Kay when she gives them a present. She puts them in like a cling film, not a cling film. Oh, like a like cellophane. A, like a cellophane wrapper yeah. with a bow. Um, she keeps threatening to melt some my wax into little. Sort of wax, bees or something. Like little seal. Oh, that would be lovely. She can buy them. No, no, she, she, that's why I might change the lock on my shed. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want my bees wax easier. I don't know what, I'm just hoarding it. I've, I like one of those hoarders you see on the TV when you go in there and they've got like uh, 8,000 empty KFC boxes. That's my shed. Well, it's is money. That? It's, that is money in the bank. What? Wax like that. It's all in my shed. So when you go to, 
uh, like Stonely, what's it called, Spring Convention or something oh, like that. Oh, you trade in for uh, yeah. foundation kind of I did that one year. I basically got my whole year's worth of foundation. I mean, but I had made a really concerted effort with the solar extractor the year before. I love my steam extractor now. Yeah, I, I'd like what the solar extractor didn't work. You can borrow my steam extractor. You want the only problem with the steam extractor? It does about I found a little one. Does about six to eight standard frames mm-hmm. a go. So it's got a plastic. It's got a metal cage you put inside it. Mm. The only thing I'd say about them is they're a bit messy because mm. you know, obviously you get all the sludge from the. All the cocoon carcasses. Yeah. So I bang that and throw that in the garden. So I've got a rubble bag. I'm putting it all in. Um, but apart from that, it's really easy. Mm. And you got to wear gardening gloves. We do because it gets really hot inside. Mm. Yeah, because the solar one just doesn't work. I love it. Next weekend, I'm going to I'm going to finish all that off, and I'll have. And then what I do is I put that. Well, it's not now. I put all the runoff from that because it all comes out kind of manky. Uh, I put that in the solar extractor because they bleach it, and the solar extractor bleaches the mm, the wax mm. and it's all consistent colour. And I melt it down, put it in a bucket, and then put it in my hoard in my shed. <laughs> and I get annoyed then when and then do my wife starts like it just stays there, and I stroke it at night. I sort of sit there cuddling it. You're precious. <laughs> yeah, it's my precious wax. I don't know why I keep it. <laughs> it is. Because it's money. I've got like a five kilo block up there at the moment. You know, they have to eat eight kilos of honey to make one kilo of wax. Right. I can't do anything with it. So think of how much honey is in that wax and what it took those creatures to create it. And, you know, you've got something really valuable. I love wax. I I love wax more than honey. I think wax is incredible. Oh. (laughs) Doesn't taste as good on toast, though. Well, people who eat cut comb honey... Right. Get their toast really hot, yeah. butter melted right. on the really hot toast, and then they spread the like uh, they've spread some of the cut comb and the honey together on their toast, and the wax melts. Sounds disgusting. And they eat it. Ugh. Well, I've never tried it. Cut combs, right? You chew it. When I was a kid, I used to like beeswax. You chew it, and then you end up with a lump of beeswax in your mm. mouth. You just take it out. Mm. Beeswax on toast sounds disgusting. Well, it would be melted. It would be melted. Right. Oh, hot beeswax on toast. Well, I guess it would disgusting. mix in with the melted. It would mix in with the melted butter and just well, be. Solidify, so you end up with this like, wax coated. I don't know. That does not sound appealing <laughs> Maybe to me. Maybe it's one of those things you've got to try. No. No. <laughs> no, he's not trying it. No. I see urchin once because someone said try it. It was horrible. God, I love sea urchin. Do you, we yeah. know. <laughs> you like sea urchin? Yeah, I do. I can't believe you tried something because someone was said, go on, try it. Well, why wouldn't you? I just, I don't know. I wouldn't trust them. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> no, and you, Tracy, I'm sure you've tried loads of things. But go on, go on, give it a go. No. <laughs> <laughs> So what have your beer been like then? Um, oh, God. Okay. You've had good things. Though. You had loads of bees so far, isn't you? Okay. Right. Let's start with the good things. Start with the good You're things. You're quite right. Let's start with the positives. Um, okay. Bee safaris. I had a great year of bee safaris. I think I said this last time. Um, you liked doing them, didn't you? I love doing them. 
Because you get people coming to join the group who are there because they love bees and want to know more. Now, how could what's not to like with that? There are never problems. Everyone's just always lovely and engaged and it it is a real pleasure to do them. Um, I've got to really carefully manage how they impact the bees. So I had enough hives that I was opening one hive every week. Um, no, that's not true. I had I had seven days worth of hives and I was doing bee safaris on four. Oh, okay. So I had to kind of double up on some of them. Um, but maybe that affected things. I don't know. Um, so that went brilliantly. I got some honey. So after most of my bees died in June from chronic bee paralysis virus, which I'm going to write a blog on because I've decided it is the most underrated killer of bees, you know, that yeah. we that we talk about. You know, even just looking at the Honey Show program, you know, you get the usual Varroa, European fowl brood, you know, you get a lot of that, and, and rightly so, but chronic bee paralysis virus, from my experience, should be up there. And I know research is being done and I know not a lot is known about it. But, my God, um, I'm saying this because after, well, after my bees, my colonies collapsed in kind of June, um, I had, I set up the new apiary with seven highs in it, two of which are yours. I I don't want them back. (laughs) You're not going to want them back now, that's for sure. (laughs) But thank you anyway. Now they've experienced a lavender field, I want to take them back to uh, the beef farm. Um, So set up a new apiary, thought I was clear, you know, even got some honey, treated them, went down to check them last week, and I've got three that have got chronic bee paralysis virus. They collapse or they just, you're just fine? They're collapsing. All right. Um, and it it hits the real it hits the biggest colonies and they're all big colonies, so all of my col- I've got five down there which are quite big and two nukes, um, so my big colonies that I've been relying on to get me through to next winter um to, to next spring, um, are sick and I've got hundreds or thousands of bees dying, hundreds of bees dying every day. Uh, I sent you that photo. Yeah. I, I took I took a brood box off and um, sent you that photo of the floor just carpeted in dead bees. And, of course, the house bees, uh, you know, one by one, taking them outside and dumping them in front of the front door. And it's the contact like that is yeah. spreading the virus. So you've constantly got to go up there, clean up the dead bees on the floor, on the grass outside, clean up the dead bees on the floors. And actually what I did do, which is this new technique, which the bee inspector told me about, um, that a commercial beekeeper developed, you take the hive, I to do this with three of them, you take it, I don't know, 30 metres away or something, and you, the brood box, and you shake all, you find the queen first. That's mm. something I forgot to do. Um, I know, but it's all right. I remembered just in, there were three frames left when I remembered (laughs) and I was like, oh my God, I've lost the queen. She was on that. And she was on the last, I know. I stuffed her in the queen cage. Um, So you shake all the bees out and the idea is that the diseased bees uh, crawl around, they're paralysed, they can't fly back. So all the flying bees will come back. Obviously it means you're losing your nurse bees. And there is a lot of brood in that hive. But 
I mean, I, I have done that with another colony and it survived. So I thought I may as well do that. So everything at the moment is about trying to uh, minimise the impact of this right now. It couldn't happen at a worse time given the fact that we're trying to build up nice big clusters for winter. Um, so I've done the textbook things they tell you to do, which are give them more space, so just add an empty super because if the bees are crowded and they're robbing together, oh, right, okay. that will spread it because they, they break off the hairs on each other and the virus gets in through the cuticle of the hair apparently. Um, so I've given them more space. I've fed them. I'm feeding them. That's what everything says. Um, I've done this shake, shake out technique. Um, and what I've done, which is a tip that I picked up from somewhere which works really well, you get, um, you know, the uh, varroa trays from polyhives, the white ones, they're like co- they're made of corex. Yeah, yeah. So a big square. So I put those outside. I put those on the ground outside every colony. Uh. So when they're throwing out the bees, I can see exactly how many there are. That's a good idea. And not go searching around in the grass and, and what have you. And it makes it a lot easier to clear them up. So I, I go up there and I've been bleaching the ground and, and uh, look, I just, I, I don't feel as traumatised as I did the first time, but I am facing the fact I might lose all my bees. And I just think, well, I've got four hives over the other side of the field and I've got the ones in Beddington, which are like tanks. You know, I think they'd survive anything. Um, so, what a five poo farm! <laughs> you just had to just get it in, didn't you? <laughs> and you did it. <laughs> I just like it because you, you know, where's Beddington Farm? You make it sound like it's this big country farm, <laughs> Beddington Estate. Yeah, it's like a shooting Beddington estate. estate, honey. <laughs> um, so. Oh, God, Paul. Oh, my God. I can't. I just can't believe it. I went up there and that's why I texted you just saying, I'm going to just, <laughs> I'm giving up beekeeping. <laughs> I think, I think. I mean, be interested to see what happens in the winter then because obviously the ones that have got it mm. will just burn out, won't they? Mm. The problem is the colony gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. So with the ones I lost, I mean, there was – like two adult bees and the queen in there, literally, when the right. bee inspector and I looked at them. And then some of the others that I had to destroy, you know, every every day I'd go up there and look and there'd be like, you know, a handful of bees in the queen. Yeah. And I kept thinking, well, because the queen's there, they'll recover. It's a critical well, mass though, isn't it? It's a critical mass. And also when you're trying to when it's it's the critical mass of the cluster that's going to help them survive over winter, you know, for the thermodynamics of it. And I, I just don't know. I'm doing everything I can. And this time I know a lot, I know a lot more than I did last time. So I got it much earlier. So I'm just hoping it'll be a little flare up. I think it's a common but it's a common way for colonies to die because you, you, know, you open your uh, box and all you find are a carpet of dead bees on the floor, mm. on the, the high floor. 
so I think a lot of lot of people just go, oh, it's died of varroa or whatever, and they just replace it. So that, mm. I think it's a really common. It's interesting. I think I, I, I think you're right. It's not right. like it's because it hasn't. It's obviously got a symptom, but it's not like a foul brood where it actually infects the comb or no. chalk brood where there's a visible yeah. symptom. Oh, I've got chalk brood. Okay, what do you do with that? Well, you know, replace the queen. Yeah. Whereas this, they just die over a period of weeks and then they're gone and then you're, you're just left with loads of dead bees. And I think people in their head go, oh, that's Varroa. Like Varroa's yeah. killed them. Like they've been going around knocking them off mm. and, and they just replace them. And I've, I've had hives they've had exactly that right carp take the brood box off you've got almost no bees you look at the bottom and there's a inch carpet of just the entire mm. colony it looks like it's just dropped dead and landed on the bottom mm. i think it's probably very common i mean it could obviously that that carpet of bees inside or outside the hive could be other things i'm no expert but i think the thing which characterizes Chronic bee prolus virus is well. There are a couple of things. The first is in the in the colony itself. If you look when you inspect the colony, you'll see these little black shiny bees. All right. They look like alien bees. Okay. And the other bees often pick on them, and they are infected. Well, I again, you're shiny. <laughs> yes, the other bees. Re- Oi, shiny. The other bees know that there's something wrong with them, and they want them out. And. Um, so they are the infected bees from chronic bee virus. Oh, so that's the okay. first. And when I was tipping the bees out the other day, I, I found up quite a few of them. Um, so there's that. Uh, the other thing is bees crawling around in front of the hive. Yeah, I've not seen that. Right. So if you get, you know, if you get uh, a couple of bees on the floor, I mean, that could be starvation or it could be, you know, varroa or whatever. But if you've got chronic bee virus, it's like, Outside the hive, it's it's like some kind of slaughter field of right. just dead bees, and you'll get bees bees trembling and shaking and walking along on top of it. I mean, I guess I thought that diseases like this only happened in spring and summer. I didn't realise that they could get it now as well. I know that sounds really stupid, but I just thought, well, the weather's not right, you know, yeah. for the disease to flourish. Um, and really annoyingly, I had some, God, I've got some lovely queens this year, really gorgeous. And of course they're in collapsing colonies. So, uh, anyway, done what I can. (laughs) We can only feed them and treat them and, (laughs) um, and put them to bed, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. Go down, go down there and do witchcraft or whatever I can. (laughs) <laughs> Dress up as a druid. Yeah, make say some <laughs> prayers to whoever. I'll pray to anybody. Um, so that's it. But I think climate change is really affecting my beekeeping. I think that having the wettest June on record, followed early, by early the, spring, early spring, wettest June on record, twenty-two degree October, twenty-two and. <laughs> two of the hottest days in the history of records in this country. And then was it last year or the year before we had the beast from the East with all that snow and, you know, yeah, sub zero temperatures. Yeah, I <laughs> that. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I think it's what you were saying about queen rearing. It's difficult to predict. 
yeah. when you're going to be able to do stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's looking like a mild, very mild winter. Mm. I hope so. But I, I actually wonder if a better way of deciding when to do things is to look at the plants and see what they're doing. Yeah, so, like, I always feed when the ivy starts and the ivy's just started and I'm feeding. So that's about right. Um, but, yeah, you know, you could go – you could go crazy being a beekeeper, couldn't you? I'm crazy. I'm glad you said that. I didn't want to <laughs> have to say it myself. Yeah, it does drive you crazy. But you're looking for a. I think this brought you were saying to me this brought home to you the, the need for a, a like a, a separate apiary, an isolation apiary. Yeah, yeah I'm going to need one if any bees survive. So that's just clear then. That's an apiary where you don't exchange nukes or hives. You just the bees on there stay there. They're not. Yeah. So like the other day when I spotted this particular colony, I would have had it out of there into an isolation apiary because by leaving it there, of course it could affect, infect all yeah. the other hives in my apiary of which there are six. So I've got 13 colonies um, in total. Now, I could potentially lose seven of them, honestly. So I just, I mean, there's a, there's a beekeeping association in this area that um, has had European fowl brood in their apiary for I don't know, not many years, not many years, but you know, let's say I don't know, two or three years they've had it. And I feel like that's what this is going to be for me. So they get it every year. Yeah. Because they've had it once and they yeah. just can't eliminate it. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. I have to have a break. I'll just take up water skiing or something instead. I'd love to see that. <laughs> Believe me, you wouldn't. <laughs> or falconry. That's what I want to do. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, and did I tell you I'm learning the bagpipes? <laughs> I'm serious, I am. You're learning the bagpipe. Yeah. So how do you learn the bagpipe? So you just get a cat and kick it. <laughs> so I've got a teacher, so I'm starting next What's week. What's the name of your bagpipe to you? It's got to be, it's got to be Jock. Ka- um Callum Galich, I think. I can't oh, say right. his surname. It's a his first name is definitely Callum, but I I'm not quite sure how to say his second name because it's Scottish in it. So Scottish in it. Yeah, in it. So, um, <laughs> what are you on? Not You're learning much to play right the now. Oh, God. So, well, I got so inspired when we went to Scotland. Um, yeah, but you don't you don't start with the whole pipes. I know. So, all right, so they don't give you the bag. No, all the, the bag. You start with the little doodly doodly do thing. The little doodly doodly do. It's called thing. a practice chanter. You start with that. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so excited. It's like a recorder. Yeah, so I think next year I might do bagpipes and falconry instead of beekeeping. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll still do bee safaris and things like You're that. You're going to train a Vulcan to go out and catch you a, a bagpipe. <laughs> they live, live wild. Oh, oh, they roam wild in the highlands. So where, where are you practising? I've got to ask. Where are you? Oh, this is fascinating. Where are, <laughs> this is going to provide me hours of entertainment. Where Wait till you, you hear me. I'm really, really good. Not. Where are you practising? Well, you're a good pianist, aren't you? You're a musical prodigy. I, I was once upon a time. 
I think I think my musical talent has kind of diminished in recent years because I don't practice. But but, um, but where do you practice your bagpipes? Are you, are you forced to practice at the end of the garden? No, I practice them in the house. Really? So I got asked. Right. Um, sorry, I got asked when I was going to practice, <laughs> and I just said, "Well, as soon as you get home from work, of course." Right. Um, so it's a. I get home at two o'clock like in the morning now. When I <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> when I play the bagpipe practice chanter, it sounds like a snake charmer's thing. All oh, right. It's really bad. It's what hideous. tune are you learning? Well, I'm not learning any tunes yet. I can't even get the right notes yet. It's hard. It's really like it's why, really why, hard. Uh, why do you want to learn to play the bagpipes? Because I love the bagpipes. They're just weird. They are the most incredible instrument. It is weird. They're so expressive and ancient and just amazing. Who invented the bagpipe? Oh, what sort of drugs I mean, they, were they on? They went, they went, they've gone back thousands of years. I mean, they're they were one of the earliest. mushrooms to come up with that, I tell you. <laughs> well, they grow in the highlands, I'm sure. Yeah, I bet they do. So Next to the bagpipe fields. There is nothing like seeing a piper in his kilt all dressed up. Are you going to get a kilt? I don't have the legs for a kilt. I really don't. Just get a really long one. <laughs> a maxi kilt. <laughs> and really high boots. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, the hairy legs I, don't think, I don't think I'll be doing the, the... But see, like I was thinking about my objectives in doing this. I, I thought, okay, so if, if I wanted to hire a piper to play at my wedding, not that I'm getting married, I'm not getting married, married again. if I was... Yeah. Then um, I would want a man. Isn't that really sexist? I wouldn't want a woman piper to turn up. All right, is that is that your niche then? If you want a no, woman, no, no, you want a woman just, piper. Well, I was just thinking, you know, am I? What will I do with this? Will I be able to perform or oh. charm people with my magical pipe sounds? Could you record a new intro for the podcast on your bagpipes? Of course, I could. That'd be brilliant. In about five years' time. <laughs> So all winter then you're practicing your bagpipes. Yeah. Ah. Oh, I'll keep the vegans away. <laughs> it's actually synthetic. So what's synthetic? The bag. They don't make it out of it. Oh no, maybe it's not. It's crazy I've, here uh, today. I got it's very noisy in my house. Um. Oh, lovely. Anyway, so, so when are you learning Valkyrie then? I had to then? share, what, what was that, sorry? When are you learning um, Valkyrie then? I don't know. I don't know. I would like to keep a bird, but I don't have the ability to do it just yet. They're what? very expensive. And also I have a menagerie of other pets yeah. to think of. Um, but isn't, isn't it the most amazing sport? I mean, what? it's falconry. See, see, I think of falconry and I think about all the cleaning you have to do in the bottom of those bird cages and it just puts me off. I don't like bird poo, I have to say. No. If they had robot ones, I'd be right up for it. <laughs> you just had to charge him up you, once a You night. called me a geek. <laughs> God. Robot falconry. Everything's robots with you. I like robots. <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that. Robot bees. Someone's going to come out of that one day. Yeah, no. They've got, they got robotic. They have already. Um, they've got robotic uh, pollinating machines. Because mm. no, they 
in some places they they pollinate They've killed with paint. all of their yeah. yeah. They pollinate with paintbrushes, mm. big four inch ones. <laughs> uh, they've got they've got robots to do that. Right on the revelation, okay. on the revelation <laughs> that you're learning to play the bagpipes, which is just genius. Uh, what colour is your bagpipe going to be? Are you going to get your own tartan? Well. In terms of my tartan, that I don't really have any... Well, I have no Scottish heritage at no. all. So I've either got to use Black Watch or I think I can use one of the new ones. Why would you use Black Watch? Hmm? Why would you use Black Watch? My granddad was in a Black Watch. Really? Yeah. Are you Scottish? You are, actually. <laughs> the Canadians. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, no, were... the Scottish people got evicted to go, yeah, yeah, go to, to Canada. Mm-mm. I've talked to my dad, he's Canadian. But no, my granddad was in the Batwatch. My God, that's amazing. I'm so jealous. That's amazing. No, that's a tartan that you can wear if you're not Scottish. Right. Just if you want to get a fight. Because it's like a, an official tartan. Okay. Um, but I might be able to wear the Isle of Skye tartan. Couldn't you get one made out of Burberry? I'd love to see your Burberry I could design bat- my own. <laughs> Burberry bad <laughs> I could design, one, d- design my own. The Katie Price bagpipe. I'd like mine to be pink. <laughs> so when are we getting the show then? How long How long until you graduate to the actual bag? Probably about six months <laughs> to a year. Depends how good, how quick a learner I am. So I'll tell how, how good you're getting when I drive around your house, how many up for sale signs. Oh, don't worry. Right. As soon as I can play a tune, I'll play, I'll play. Oh, I'll be playing brilliant. tunes to everybody. <laughs> Like on my little thing. That's genius. Right? Mm. Better go because we were talking about you and your bagpipe all day. I know, and it's supposed to be about bees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Um, you can find us at thebeehivejive.com or you can follow us on Twitter at thebeehivejive. Uh, and if you could leave us a um, – stop laughing. I'm trying <laughs> to do this professionally and you're over there chuckling. No, I'm not laughing at you, sorry. No, you're no. just laughing at your bagpipe. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> And if you can leave, <laughs> and if you can leave us a uh, a review on whichever podcast that you oh, yeah, use, that would be great. That'd be fantastic because mm. it helps people find us. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. We will speak to you soon. Last time. His pen. I'm going to clip my pen all the way through his podcast. Okay. And people are going to think, I don't know, I'm counting sheep or something. I'll throw my new phone at you if you do that. Um, might as well get a crack in it sooner or <laughs> <right>, yeah. <laughs>